0: So, the story of, um, of Jonah. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went abroad and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. We all know the story because of the fish. Catching fish is good fun. <clears throat> there are some greatly anointed fishermen in this church. Manly. He is anointed with the anointing and when I hope he passes it on to me one day, the mantle. I went fishing to Alberta this week. Well, We didn't go fishing. I went to a Moose Lake Gospel Camp to preach. Thank you. Uh, to preach a place called Bonneville, Cold Lake area, to preach every night, Monday through to Friday. I said, I had to preach here Sunday morning, then drive just Josiah and I, and we stopped off at West Edmonton Mall and did the water slides, hallelujah. Another story there. Then we went up to Moose Lake and there we embarked upon fishing. However, I noticed reading the information at the small outfitters in the middle of nowhere where there's this little shack with a lady in there who sells fishing gear and licenses that it was going to cost me $52 for a license for four days. That's Alberta for you. Persecuting, Persecuting us BC people. But I was sure to fill up my car high with, petrol, with gas. So I thought, oh, okay. What am I going to do? I'm going fishing. I'm a rebellious man. So I said to the lady, I said, he's 11. Can he fish? Yes, yes. I said, do I have to have a fishing license to watch him fish? I said, because it's $52. I said, I've hung out with Mennonites long enough. <laughs> she goes, I don't know. I, 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 you know. I said, what do I, can I physically do by the letter of the law? And what can I physically not do? So she started to explain. And she said, I'm going to call the fisheries guys who are around here. So she picks up the phone and says, hey, Bob, obviously they know each other. I've got this Australian guy here <laughs> with his son who wants to fish. <laughs> what can he physically do? So I'm finding any way around this. I don't want to do it anyway. I don't know why, but I just felt... And they explained, you can tell him, she said, sir, you can You can hold the rod, but you cannot cast it. And you cannot reel it in. But beyond that, you can set it up and help him and untangle it, but do not reel in. And she said, because they are out there on the lake watching you. I said, okay, I can really... I said, could you ask another question? If he catches a fish, can I administer the net, please? Because that's important. Because we were catching them this big. Um, she said, yes, sir, you can. So I went, oh, thank you. She said, have a good trip back to Australia. So... But we're fascinated by fish. We're fascinated about catching fish. And and the great story of Jonah is the fish and the miracle that takes place in this story. But the first thing I want you to notice about the whole story of Jonah, and you know the story, God calls him to go and preach in Nineveh because Nineveh, God wants to minister, his revival, his power, his anointing. Jonah does not want the revival to come to Nineveh because simply he hates the Ninevites. He despises them and thinks they are are terrible. They are the arch enemies of Israel at that time. This city is the capital of the Assyrian empire It has been reigning for 150 years. It has been the capital of the Assyrian Empire for 100 years. And the same year, uh, 612, when Jerusalem falls, so will Nineveh fall to the Babylonian Empire as the power shifts in the land. And so the Lord says to the prophet, the man of God who spends his time in the temple, honouring God in the presence of the Lord. He says, I want you to go north and I want you to preach to Nineveh. Suddenly, Jonah, this pushes all of his bells and all of his reaction. And he says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord. And I think every one of us are in danger in different ways of running away from the Lord and what the Lord has called us to do. It is difficult and foolish to run away from the God that has pursued you for your life. But he's running away and I don't know what you're running away from in life. I don't know you've turned up this morning and and you don't know what to expect at church. But I find that a lot of us are running away from things in our lives. But the most foolish thing you and I can do is decide that we know better from God and we know better than God. And the most foolish thing we can do is to run away from what God is calling us to do in our lives. And for some of you, it is time to start running away from the call of God that God has put on your life. Never works to run. Why was Jonah running? Well, he was running because he's a Jew. And the Jewish people, he felt, the Ninevites did not deserve the message of God. His prejudice. He has resentment. He has anger issues. He is miserable. We know that because in chapter 4, he really moans at God after God does a mighty revival. And it is possible to hear God's voice. And it is possible for you to ignore what the glory of God is calling you to do. And he starts to run. The second reason he starts to run is because he knows that if he goes and preaches to them, they are going to be converted. The third thing he knows is that if they start to, if he goes there, he's got to deal with his personal fear to do what God has called him to do. And this is really important. Because God has called us all to do something. God has a calling on our lives. God has a ministry for us. God has a role for us to play in the kingdom of God. And the truth is this, that fear can stop you from doing what God has called you to do. So what fear is binding you? What fear is holding you back from ministering, from speaking, from sharing the love of God? What fear is affecting your life? Because I think for some of us, we've got to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to break the fear that holds me back. And the fear drives me to run away from you when really I am called to do something for you. None of you are obsolete in the kingdom of God. Every one of you has a role. Every one of you has a calling. Every one of us has an ability to touch and to bless others. To pray, to see change. God wants to use every one of you powerfully. None of you are obsolete. You may feel like you're obsolete. Our first month in Kelowna, we we're invited over to uh, Kay and Hank Neufeld's house for pizza with the kids. We told them before we arrived there, we've been in Willow Park eight years now, you've got to really behave yourself best manners. Of course, they had an English accent then, so even if they were rude, it sounded nice. (laughs) And if you know Kay and Hank, they're lovely. They have a little house by uh, the lake, and um, we talked about fishing, and the kids wanted to fish, but it's not the right spot to fish. Boating, and people playing, and so I said to my child, you may remember this, some of you, I said, don't worry, Daddy will do something for you. Josiah was three. I said, here's a piece of string, and here's a little uh, paper clip. We'll tie it on, and we'll take the paper clip, and we'll make it into a hook, and we'll put a bit of Boston pizza and you will catch a fish, and I'm thinking inside. <laughs> oh, it keeps them busy, doesn't it? So he hangs over the edge and starts dangling, and Bella's looking over, going, "Go oh, look, look this, this." And all of a sudden, we're making polite conversation, and I hear this scream, "Dad!" And they come running down with the piece of string, with the homemade hook. And with this big fish on the end. (laughs) You may feel that you are useless and worthless, and you may feel that your life doesn't resemble a glorious angling rod but you may feel like you're a piece of string or a piece that you're no good you're just this little piece of metal and you've got no purpose but I've discovered that God uses the simplest of things to do the most profound things in this world. And you may feel like you are simple. You may feel like you are uh, are nothing. You may feel like you are a piece of string with a little pin on the end, but you are certainly not. You are a child, a daughter, a son of the living God. And the one thing you mustn't do is stay running from God. Our calling is to run to God. Run to his presence. But he's running away from God. (laughs) <laughs> he's, he's running to Tarshish. Do you know where this is? Spain. It's two and a half thousand miles away from where he's going. I mean, he's not just running away. He's really running away. He's going to the end of the known world. He's to Spain. Spain, have you been to Spain? It's where the English and the Germans go on holiday. It is. And we battle over who gets the sun lounger first. And the Germans always win. Because they are up early, yah. And they take their towels and they throw them over the swimming pool. And it lands, (laughs) ha, 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 ha. And usually the English have hangovers, so they're not even up by 12. It's 2,500 miles to get there. It is 550 miles to get to Nineveh. What does this tell me? It tells me it's a lot easier to obey God. It's five times harder to be disobedient to God. It's like saying... God says to you, this is exact mileage. I've worked it out because I was on the road for a long time and I was a little bored. It's like saying God calls you to go and preach in Pinoca, Alberta, which is exactly 550 miles from this spot. But you go, no, I'm going to drive all the way to Toronto. That's the difference. Disobedience takes more work. Disobedience to God's voice makes your life more difficult. Disobedience drags us down. Disobedience is five times harder than being utterly and completely obedient to the voice of God in your life. And for some of us, we are wondering why our lives are worn out. Because we're on the treadmill of disobedience rather than following the Lord. But what did the Lord do? The Lord sent a great storm. And the the sailors are are panicking and they're wondering what's happening and they call upon their gods. And the more that they call and as, as Jonah goes down and down, he came down to Joppa. He went down to the port. He went down into the decks. He went down to sleep. And every step that he went down, the storm got stronger. Do you know sometimes God sends storms into our lives because he wants to wake us up to the truth of who we are. And sometimes we go, I've got this storm. It's a problem. It must be from the devil. I bind you, devil, in the name of Jesus. I pray against this storm. I pray against this storm. This devil is against me. All the darkness of hell is against me. This storm and these problems, they must be, must be from the enemy. And God's saying, actually, they're not from the enemy. It's from me because you're running away from me. But I notice in the text that the truth gradually comes out. Who are you? I'm a Hebrew. Where are you from? From Jerusalem. What are you doing? I'm supposed to be preaching. You're running away from the Hebrew God. This is a problem. As they're throwing cargo overboard. He said, yes, the only answer is that you throw me over. We can't throw you over. Then the God will get us. What, what, are you, what have you done this? This is a classic example for these poor sailors that they are in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person. That's what they may think. But you see, when we're in the middle of a dark storm, often truth is revealed in a way that it's not revealed in any other way. Truth comes. Truth about our motivation, truth about our calling, truth about the way we live, truth about our priorities, truth about our idols, truth about that battle. And here he is, the truth is, he's a man with a mission. He's running away from his mission because he's full of anger, bitterness and resentment, full of lies because he does not believe that Nineveh deserves the revival of God. So they finally throw him overboard. And the fish. A lot of people have spent a lot of time trying to work out whether this was physically possible. And, and whether, you know, because the fish is, the stomach is empty. The acids and so on, and they tell stories on the Internet of a certain poor Japanese fisherman that got swallowed up, and then there was a guy that got swallowed by an, uh, a whale and then survived for three days down in the South Atlantic, and we're getting very scientific. We're getting very very kind of trying to prove something. You're missing the point. The point is, is that this moment with the fish is a miracle of God. It's a miracle. It's the same kind of miracle that put Jesus in the tomb and the third day he rose again. It's the same kind of miracle that took a virgin and put a baby in her stomach. It's the same kind of miracle that parted the Red Sea so a nation could pass through. It's the same kind of miracle when manna starts to fall from heaven. And very often we want science, but we forget that this is a miraculous moment. I know it's true for me Utterly and not a dream, because Jesus preached about this moment. And if Jesus says it, I believe it. But he's thrown in to the belly. So, what is his real theological beef with this story? What is the theological importance of this story that Jonah is kicking against and working against? It is simply this. The theological truth is that God's loving grace and compassion can reach all people in all nations. The violent, the heinous, the dark The terrible Ninevites, God's love wants to reach a broken and dark world. And Jonah could not stand the idea that God's love, that God was capable of changing and speaking this way, that their mortal enemy would believe in the one true God. And he hated this idea of a God that accepts, of a God that seeks, of a God that saves, a God that forgives, a God that comes to the darkest of people and brings the light. But that is something we must never forget, that all people can be reached by the power of the gospel and the power of Jesus Christ. I don't know how dark that person is you're talking to, but they're not so far away from God that they can't be reached. That we can't believe for the rescue. God loves rescues. Who in your life needs rescuing? God loves to rescue. Who's in darkness that you feel is so far away that they're unrescuable? They can be rescued. When Michelle's father gave his life to Jesus, he was a tough, nobody believed that John Lankling could ever give his life to Jesus. He's the toughest man in the town. He ran a haulage company. He used to be a a bouncer and a roadie for some of the biggest bands in in, um, in Britain, like the Rolling Stones and different ones, he was known as a, a tough man. So tough, so hard, you won't mess with him. Nobody in the church could ever believe that that man could get saved. Kind of had a legendary gangster view. For that doesn't bother God. Because one day he looked in the mirror and he couldn't see himself, and behind him he saw Jesus and he fell to his knees and gave his life to Jesus Christ. Who is your Nineveh that you can't believe? See, the theological message is nobody's beyond the love of God. And that's what Jonah hated. I hate this God. God, don't. You can't rescue these people. And I'm in the belly of this fish. And you're talking about rescuing. You're talking about my mission. And I'm rebelling. But I love these people, God says. No, you can't love these people. I mean, love the sailors. Let them off. They're nice guys. Don't love those Ninonavites. And it was only as he sat for three days in the darkness of that that fish, he says, but I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you. He's had a big moan before this. And what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. When God saw what they, I'll get to that in a moment. Salvation comes from the Lord. This is what I love, grateful. Gratefulness and thankfulness is the key to seeing the provision of the Lord to live our lives with gratefulness, to live our lives with goodness, to even in the belly of the fish and to turn our lives around and say, I'm in the middle of this storm. I'm in the darkness for three days. I am struggling, but then the light comes on and it's, he's got to step into gratefulness. And believe me, when you're grateful, depression starts to disappear. When you're grateful for things, God's blessing starts to come. When you're, grateful for the very breath in your lungs, God's presence is there. We must never become a miserable people. We must be a grateful people because we are a blessed people and we have been saved by the glory and the presence of God. Let the gratefulness you know, it may, gratefulness changes your marriage. Gratefulness changes the way you think about your kids. Gratefulness changes your attitude. That when I feel moaning and moody and miserable and, and I've got a Jonah on me and I am like that. You know what changes things? It's learning to be grateful in your life. Because God loves to rescue people. We were at the West Edmonton Mall and we had done all, a lot of the slides. Me and Josiah I had to keep up with him. We did all of the extreme advanced slides. These are the ones where you stand, and nowadays they, they put you in a little funnel and a perfect screen comes around you. And then a voice goes three, two, one. It is. Horrible. (laughs) I've got an 11-year-old boy, you see. I'm a 53-year-old man. I've got aches and pains. But I've got to live like a young man. So uh, no fear, I don't show him any fear. Oh yeah, should we do this one? Sure. Three. To Jesus, protect me. (laughs) So I'm stood there at another extreme one, and there's a lady in front of me. And as she's in front of me, there's all these signs that says, you must be a, a swimmer for this one, you must do this, you must do that. Don't really notice her too much. She's there. She's perhaps in her 40s. We make our way up and you go down this tube and you come into this big pan and then you go round and round and round and round and then you drop through a hole into a 10-foot pool. I did not want to do it. But I worked it out that probably most people had lived, so I stood there and I waited. We just—I was very excited, very good, and we were going to count how many times we could go round it before we dropped through it. So this was our little competition. Problem was when I did it, I was so terrified I forgot to count. Um, so the lady went in first and down she went. She drops through, she drops into the water, and then she sinks, and I could tell that she was drowning, and that she couldn't swim, which made me believe that she couldn't read English. And I said to the lifeguard stood next to me, I said, because he was looking around, I said, I think she's drowning. You see, going up and down. Oh, yes. And he goes, goes to the other lifeguard. And the other, oh, oh, yes, up and down. Dives in, saves her. It was awesome. I thought I can preach this. And there we I said to the, I said that's amazing. I said a rescue. He goes, yeah. He said, I've never seen that happen here. I said, no. I said, do you like get a badge or a award or anything? Sort of joking. He goes, yeah, we do actually. We get a little, little, little white one to say we rescued somebody. We get a little red one for this. We get this. I said, do you get a black one if they die? Um, <laughs> he goes, no, no. I said, oh. I said, what's what's she she doing now? Filling in a ticket? She she said, yes, ticket. It's called a, a nearly drowning form. I said, is it really called that? A drowning form. Yes, we have to log the fact that the person drowned. I said, oh, that's amazing. But, uh, you know, there was nothing sweeter. And when I went down afterwards, I got up and I spoke to that lifeguard. I said, I saw you save her. That's amazing. So It was actually a really beautiful moment. And there is nothing more beautiful than somebody who is struggling and fighting and feels they're lost. They perhaps didn't even know which way they were going in life. They perhaps got on something and they never read the instructions. They never thought that life would turn out like this. And they find themselves in a place where that decision, that choice is going to kill them. But there is a God in heaven who loves to rescue people. But we've got to live a gracious life. And what happened? They repented. Destruction did not come at that time. The whole of the city, seven and a half mile perimeter wall it had. 120,000 people and God's mercy turned up. And God moved in power and revival hit Nineveh. And God changed hearts And what did Jonah say when he had his moan in chapter 4? He prayed to Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? What is it? What? I've tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. I'm so annoyed with you. Because you are so good, and so awesome, and so loving, and so rescuing, and I don't like these people. And you even put me in a belly of a fish for three days. And maybe Jesus looked at them when they got to heaven. And Jonas, I want to talk to you about the darkness in three days. You can't really understand what I went through. And Jesus said, I want to talk to you about a darkness in three days. I want to talk to you about a cross. I want to talk to you about the moment when sin and death and Satan were defeated. See, Jesus came out the grave. And rose again on the third day so that all the world can hear the good news. That our God is gracious, compassionate, abounding in love. Gracious, compassionate, abounding in love. That's our God. And some people don't like that message of God's goodness. So I love this idea that he's in the, in the fish and he's vomited up. He comes out the fish. But the one thing Jonah never really comes out of this is his own selfishness. He continues to moan, his own selfishness. His own selfishness. His own selfishness. And sometimes we've come out of the calamity of the grave as believers. And we've been freed from the condemnation of sin and death. We are saved. We will live forever. But it's a challenge for every one of us that we've come out of the fish. Out of the grave spiritually. Spiritually. But we've got to be willing to come out of our own selfishness. Our selfishness, our self, our own character is the biggest battle we have to allow the power of Christ to transform us into the image of of our Lord. A gracious, a compassionate, and a loving person. Isn't that who you want to be? It's what I want to be. I don't want to be Jonah. I want to be like Jesus. Who is so gracious. So loving. So compassionate. And he showed his loving, compassionate. By dying on the cross for us. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. I uh as we stand, let's bow our heads and let me say some a few words. There's a bit of us that all have Jonah in us. And we've got to be willing to examine ourselves and say, what am I running from in my calling and mission? And what fear is holding me back from doing what the Lord's asked me to do? And offer your life again to Christ and say yes. Yes. I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to live for Jesus. And maybe you are a Jonah, and at the final song, I'd love to pray for you. Or you'd just like to get right with God. Or you'd just like... then just at the final song, just come down the front and I'll pray with you. And you can get right with God this morning or receive prayer and blessing. But Father, I pray in each one of our lives that we may have the heart of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and believe that Nineveh can be saved. May we believe that Kelowna can be saved. May we believe that Canada can be saved. May the fires of revival that in our own movement, the Mennonite brethren that was birthed in revival in the 1850s, may we believe that the revival fires will run in our lives again, Lord. In every church, may we bless and believe For revival in our lives and revival in our city and revival in our nation in Jesus' name. May we not look at this place and that and say, never, never, never can that happen. We believe that you are a good, compassionate and gracious God, Lord. And forgive us when we've been running from our mission, whatever the reason, because of our pride, of, of our nationality, our position, because of our knowing that if we do submit, you're going to do some mighty things that we might not like, fear that holds us back, we pray that fear would be broken, and we pray, God, that we would not have a protesting heart to the call of God on our lives, in Jesus' name, thank you, Lord.